Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are, how are you? I struggled with that last week, that same question. Hey, good to see you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, and um, I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, please open it to uh, the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. As you know, we've been in a sermon series studying the Ten Commandments um, out of Exodus chapter 20. And so today we are in number eight. So we're almost there. Uh, Two more weeks after this, number eight. um, That's the commandment uh, that we're going to uh, study together. Um, Why does God care about the way you live? Have you ever asked that? question before? You know, like, God, why, why do you care about the way that I live my life? Like, why do you care about my relationships? Why do you care about how I spend my money? Why do you care about things like sexual ethics? Why do you care about my work, my rest, my rhythms? Uh, you know, why, why even give us this list of 10 commands uh, amongst all the other commands that we have in Scripture Uh, why do you care so much about the decisions that I make, about the things that are in my mind and about the things that are in my heart? And and one of the things that I've been trying to teach us in this series over the summer, as we've been studying the 10 commandments, is so loud and clear is this, that God cares about these things because God cares about your joy. It's so much, I think, that when we think about the commands that God gives us, especially if you grow up in church, all right, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, but you grew up observing other Christians, and I'm not sure what kind of example they gave, but sometimes the, the thing that we can begin to believe is that God's commands, they're not necessarily connected to our joy, that God's commands, they're just connected to not getting punished, and that's kind of how we approach God or we approach commands. It's like, okay, I need to make sure I do these things because I want to please God. And the thing that I've been trying to drill into all of us over and over again, to the point that I hope you're tired of hearing it, is that all of God's commands are for your joy and my joy. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. Why did God give his people the Ten Commandments? Right? I mean, when, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, you had this one nation amid, amidst all of the nations of the world. Why did God give Israel these Ten Commands and really the rest of the law? What was God's purpose behind that? And yes, it was for their joy, but it was also this. God gave his commands because he wanted his people to be distinct from the rest of the world. The people that followed him, that believed his word, that worshiped him, he wanted them to live differently, to have a different way of looking at life, to have a different ethic that they lived according to, that the way they treated people, the way they viewed their money, the way they viewed relationships, everything, work, that everything would be different. Kind of a stark contrast between God's people and the rest of the world. And God has the same desire for the church because as the church, we are God's people. And so God wants his people, his church to be 
distinct from the world. This is what we did a whole sermon series on this a few months ago out of Romans chapter 12 called A Delight to Be Around. And we are just looking at the fact that God calls his people to treat others differently, that God calls his people to be a generous people, that God calls his people to be a delight to be around, that God calls his people to be utterly distinct in the world. Why? So that we can prove to everyone that we're better that we're more righteous, that we have it together? Not at all. But the reason that God calls his people to be distinct is because he wants his people to display what the kingdom of God is like. We say this all the time at Grace Hill, that our calling as a church, your calling as a Christian is to be a representative of God's kingdom to the world. That when people look at how we live our lives, and how we treat people and how we love each other and all of those things that they would see something different, that a a different worldview would govern the way that we live. Because it's true. People who belong to God, people who are citizens of God's kingdom are given a completely different outlook on life, a different worldview. When they look at their life and their purpose and what they're called to, there's a, there's a different source of where they're getting the answers to those questions. They have a different outlook on life. So, so go all the way back. I do this all the time, but go all the way back to the garden. In Genesis 1 and 2, you, you, you've got Adam and Eve, and you have this place, paradise, the Garden of Eden, right? That's just, it is it's paradise. There's, there's no sin. There's no regret. God and mankind have this perfect relationship where they dwell in the same place. And God is caring for his people, right? He's providing for their needs. He's providing for their wants, right? So that's what we have in the garden, right? God's people under God's care, living according to God's purpose. But what do we see in Genesis chapter three? We see mankind reject that to basically say to God, listen, I don't want to live under your care. I don't want to live according to your purpose. I would like to do those things for myself. I would like to care and provide for myself. I don't want to live under your provision. And I'd like to live according to whatever purpose I assign to my life. I don't want to live according to the purpose that you assign to my life. And so what happens is Genesis 3 is the entire world kind of plunges into a different worldview and outlook on life. In the garden, the outlook was God provides for me. I live joyfully according to his purpose. Everything's great. The outlook outside of the garden in a sinful world is one of survival. I have to fend for myself. I have to provide for myself. I have to figure out what my purpose is in this world, right? I I was thinking about it. I was almost kind of like thinking like, if you were to take Adam and Eve and drop them into uh, an island and there was just a beautiful resort there and we just said, hey, all expenses paid, all your food's there, everything you need. You don't have to worry about a thing. You're gonna be comfortable, right? And you just drop them in and it's like, life is great. But it'd almost be like Adam and Eve saying, no, 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 we don't want this. Actually drop me onto an island where there's nothing there, 
right? There's, there's no resort, no provision, nothing's taken care of. You have to figure it out all on your own. And it's almost like Adam and Eve saying, yeah, I would rather do that because then I get to be in charge. But what happens? They get dropped down and they go, oh, wait, I didn't think this one through. Where am I gonna get my food? Where am I gonna get my shelter? I mean, who's here to, to care for me? What, there's predators on this island. Who's going to protect me now? And so all of the sudden, the worldview becomes survival. And so here's what God's been doing ever since the fall. God's been wooing his people back under his care, saying, listen, I'm after your joy. All right, I'm after your flourishing. I want you to trust me Trust me to provide for you. Trust me to give you your purpose, all right? Trust me in following my ways and the ways in which I command you to live your life, all right? And so that's why God gives these commands. It's we see in the Bible, God pursuing his people who have rejected and left him, saying, I'd rather do it on my own and saying, no, I told you it's better my way. It's better under my care. Here's the main question that, or one of the main questions I've been asking through this series. If you remember in commands one to three, I asked this primary question of each command. Are we good with God being God? Because the first three commands deal with our worship of God directly. And really asking the question, are we good with who God is, his character, and are we good worshiping God as God? Or would we rather change who he is. And that's that main question we are asking. But commands four to 10, which are very much specific to the way that we live our life, I think the main question that we're asking is this, am I good being human? And am I good being created? Am I good being a creation of this God? And, and therefore he's the designer. He's the one who gets to tell me how to live my life because he knows Better, am I good living my life under his care, under his direction, and according to the purpose that he has assigned me? And I, I just think the eighth commandment is, is such a great test on do we trust God and do we specifically trust God to provide for us and to have this worldview where we wanna be under God's care and provision and live our life according to his ways. And so we're gonna dig into this command because I think it's such a great test on this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, another very short command. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, I don't think we need to do a big word study on the word steal, all right? I think we all know what it means to steal something, all right? Take something that's not ours. But you know how this series has been going. We haven't just been taking each of these commands right at the face value. No, the Bible teaches us that God actually cares about the heart behind each of these commands. What would be the heart that would actually break this command? And what would be the heart that would actually be obedient to this command. And so as, as you know, we're gonna kind of blow this up well beyond just, hey, please don't steal something from the grocery store. We're gonna dig into what is the heart here. And I think what we're gonna discover is we're gonna see this great juxtaposition between the ways of the world 
and the ways of God's kingdom. All right, so two passages I wanna take you to so we can understand what is the heart behind one who steals and what is the heart behind one who doesn't. So first passage that we're gonna look at, and I'll just pop it on the screen there for you, is Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter, yes, six, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 and 20. Let me read this for you real quick. This is Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth here in the world where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Hey, there's a word that we recognize. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. All right, so in this passage in in Matthew chapter six, what we get is we, we kind of get a glimpse into the ways of the world. All right, and, and what we're saying is here, if, if you store up your treasures, and we're gonna talk about what treasures are in a moment, but if you store up your treasures here on earth, the, the problem is, is that they will decay. They, they won't last. But another problem is it's gonna be under threat to be stolen from you. Why? Because the way of the world is a way of fend for yourself, survival, provide for yourself. It's almost like an every man for himself type of mentality. And so when we lay up treasures here in the world, when we put our hope in the things of the world, it's under the threat of being taken away from us. All right, so we, so we have that. Now compare that to Ephesians chapter six. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter four, verse 28. This is the apostle Paul. He says this, let the thief no longer steal. There's our word, but, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, now we've got an example of someone who's been transformed By God, he now has a different worldview. There was a point that he was living according to the ways of the world, right? Every man for himself, hey, take what you need, figure out what your own purpose is, provide for yourself, do what you need to do kind of a mentality. But things have transformed in his heart. And now all of a sudden, when he thinks about the things that he needs and he thinks about the things that he wants, he's gonna work hard, He's gonna be patient. And the purpose behind doing so is that he he now has goods that he can share with others who are in need. And so we have this different worldview, right? The first worldview that we see in Matthew 6, right, is one of this world is all I have. I better make the best of it and people better get out of the way. And the worldview we see in Ephesians chapter four here is one of, I've been transformed by God. I belong to him. And so now the things that I do, I wanna do for the purpose of what? Generosity, caring for others. Why? Because I don't need to rely on myself for provision. I don't need to take from others for provision. I can now actually live a life that is focused on serving and caring for others. You see the different worldviews. One is all about self. The other is I'm taken care of 
so I can now be generous to others. And so I believe that the heart behind theft that we see here in the eighth commandment is is a, a heart that's living according to the worldview of the world, of a fallen world. And at the opposite of that is a heart that is now living according to a kingdom worldview that now is centered on others. And so with that said and established, what I wanna do for the rest of our time is ask the question, so how do we live our lives under God's provision? How do we adopt this kingdom worldview that says, I I trust God to care for my needs and my wants, and now I can live according to the purpose that he's given me. How do I live under God's provision? So I have three ways, three ways that we live under God's provision um, when it comes to this eighth commandment here. Here's way number one. The first way is this, we need to be aware of what we label as treasure and what we label as a tool in our lives. You know, one of the questions I've been asking a lot in this series as well is, hey, as we study these commands, one of the things we need to ask is what is going on inside of me, right? We, we need to be people who are willing to look at God's word and ask, what is that doing inside of me? How is this encouraging me? How is this challenging me? Where do I need to be more honest with myself and share that with others? And this is one of those questions that we just have to ask and go, okay, what is going on inside of me? What in my life do I label as a treasure? And what in my life do I label as a tool. Go back to Matthew chapter six. Read this passage again with me. I'm gonna go 19 to 21. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. So what's a treasure? Well, a treasure is something that you invest deeply in and you protect. That's a treasure. You invest deeply into this thing and you protect it to make sure no one takes it from you or damages it, right? That's a treasure. But, but what's a tool? A tool is simply something you use for another purpose, right? So if I think about a hammer, hammer, it's not a treasure. I don't invest deeply in hammers, right? If you steal it, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, shed a tear over that. But it's a tool, right? I use a hammer for a different purpose. And I think we need to be aware of what in my life do I label as a treasure and what in my life do I label as a tool, right? So let's get some examples. A child, your children, right? Are, do we see them as treasures or do we see them as tools, well, of course. I mean, if we look at the test, it's, man, we invest deeply in our kids. I mean, we put everything, all of our lives into caring for them and raising them. And do we protect them? Absolutely. Why? Because they're treasures. They are precious to us. We invest so much and we will give our lives to protect our kids, right? They're, they're treasures. They're, they're not tools. But what about your house? Is your house a treasure? or a tool? 
Okay, well, a house, yes, we do invest deeply in a house. I mean, it costs a lot of money to get a house or an apartment or a townhouse or condo wherever you live. So yes, there's a lot going on there. Do we seek to protect it? Probably. But what is the ultimate purpose that God might have for our house? Is it a a tool, something that God might give us to use for all kinds of purposes? And I think we need to ask, what is, what is our house, a treasure or a tool? Let's give another example. How about your relationship with God himself? Is that a, is that a treasure? Do, do I invest deeply into this and, and protect it, right? Protect my heart from, from other things that might draw me away from Christ? Is it something I invest in and protect or is it a tool? Is it just something that I use for other purposes I have in my life? You know, sometimes people will tell me, well, you know, Alan, the reason why I go to church is I just want to establish a moral foundation. Or the reason why I'm involved is because of the social aspect. And sometimes I think it can be easy for our relationship with God to become a tool for other purposes versus something that we treasure. Your retirement account. Is that a treasure? I mean, we obviously invest deeply. We want to protect it. But is it a tool or a treasure, something we use for other purposes? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. And so of course, our money, that's a question we need to ask. Is our money, and I think this is what Jesus is getting at, is it a treasure that we invest deeply in, we protect, we don't want anything to happen to it because it's our provision or is it a tool? Is it something that God has entrusted to us for all kinds of purposes and we're willing to use that according to the purpose that God has for it? Here's the thing about a treasure. You'll never give it up for anything. The thing that you treasure in your heart, you'll never give it up. And so God, if God were to come and say, hey, I want you to use that for this purpose or that purpose. I want you to give that up. I want you to give that to this person. I want you to invest these things in other things and not just yourself. I want you to be generous with these things that I've given you. If all of a sudden we go, no, I, that is out of bounds because this is something that is, I, sorry, this is something that I treasure in my heart. Then we know that we have found something that we actually label as a treasure. And so I think these are the things that we got to ask ourselves. Is my money, are my assets, do I see those as treasures? Or are these tools that I go to God and say, God, they are to be used for your purposes. They are to be used for your kingdom. This is one of the things that makes God's people distinct in the world. It's what makes his kingdom distinct is that his people see the resources that they have as provision from God for purposes that God has because we can trust God to take care of our needs. And so one of the things I want us to see this morning is this, is that there is unbelievable joy when a shift happens in your heart and you begin to see your money no longer as a treasure, but actually as a tool that God will use in your life for unbelievable purposes. There is joy when your relationship with money goes from treasure to tool. Remember Matthew 6, 21, we just read it. Remember what he said? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And the reality is, is that money will be a relentless master over your soul. It will always ask for more of you and will never give you enough. And so there is unbelievable joy when we see that transfer happen, when I see my money as a tool and not a treasure. But the question we have to ask is, okay, how do I do that? How does that transfer happen in my life, right? Well, that's my second way here. Second way that we live under God's provision. Here we go. Don't set your sights. This is a big one. Don't set your sights on upgrading lifestyle, but set your sights on upgrading generosity. There seems to be this unwritten rule in our society, and it makes sense. We all live according to it in many ways and definitely are tempted to live according to it. Uh, I know I am, is that if you make more money, that means that you upgrade lifestyle. And there doesn't seem to be this idea of if you make more money, your lifestyle can stay the same, but now you can begin to upgrade your generosity. So go back to Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, we already read it, but I wanna read it again. I think this is what we see. It says, let the thief no longer steal. So obviously this guy has gone through a transformation, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Let him work hard. Why? So that he may have something to share with one in need. Let him labor and earn money. Why? So that he can be generous. And so we see this pattern, set your sights on upgrading your generosity and not your lifestyle. And when we begin to live under God's provision, what happens is we will see generosity grow in our hearts. Now, here's the deal. This is not a vow to poverty, right? This isn't a idea of, hey, it's bad for you to have money. It's not the idea of it's bad to be rich, Uh, It's not that at all. But what this is, is actually a fact that you have been called to work hard. I I actually believe this. You have been called to work hard. You've been called to make money. You've been called to build wealth. You've been called to do things like start businesses and use your skills for the purpose of whether it's generating capital or assets or whatever, for the purpose of being generous. I think God wants the people of his kingdom to be really good at the things that they do, to be the best employees they they can be, to be inventors, to be people who start things and generate wealth. Why? So they can invest it and use it in generous ways that God calls them to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Look at this. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here's what Paul is saying to the rich in that passage. He's saying, listen, It's not about how much money you have. It's about what you see, what you look to for your provision in your life. Do you have this kingdom 
outlook, this kingdom worldview that says God is the one who cares for me and all I have is to be used according to his purposes. And that's what we're called to do. But the question is this, as people, if we accumulate things and we have built wealth and we have these, the question is this, can we handle the temptations and the corruptions that could come through having wealth? The Bible never tells you not to have money. It just warns you that if you do, it'll be hard to get in the kingdom, right? Because it's gonna pull you away. And it also warns you that it's very corruptible, right? It's not, the money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And so the question is, can we handle the temptations and corruptions that come when we have resources and wealth and money to share? Do we have a worldview that God's gonna provide and this is meant to be used generously? Uh, I, the, I love this one story that Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon is a, is a uh, old English preacher from the 1800s. And he tells this one story. I've, I'm sure I've shared it before. I, I love it. He said, you know, one day there was a gardener and this gardener grew this incredible large carrot. It was like the best carrot he's ever grown in his life. And so he was so excited. He takes the carrot and he takes it to the king. And he goes, your majesty, I just, this is the best carrot I've ever grown in my life. I just wanted to give it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And then I want you to have it. And the king goes, man, that's so nice and generous of you. Thank you. And so the guy is walking away and the king goes, you know what? Hold on one second, come back. He goes, you've proven to be a good steward of your land. So you know what? I'm gonna give you all of this land over there. That's all yours now because you are someone who is generous and you are a good steward. So the guy walks away like amazed. Oh my gosh, I wasn't even expecting that. Well, all along there was a nobleman who was observing all of this go down and he overheard the conversations and he goes, man, I mean, if that's what you get for a carrot, imagine if I brought something better. So the next day he brings this beautiful black stallion to the king. He goes, your majesty, just, this is the best horse I've ever bred. And I just wanted to give it to you as a token of my love and respect and esteem for you. It, it's all yours. And the, and the king goes, great, thanks. Appreciate that. Go on. And the nobleman's perplexed. Wait, what, what's going on here? And the king goes, ah, see here, let me tell you what happened. See, yesterday, the gardener gave me the carrot. And today, you have given yourself the horse. And here's the point, and here's the question. Our hearts are either set on upgrading our lifestyle or our hearts are set on upgrading our generosity. We're either gonna have a heart that is motivated to use the things that we have for ourselves, or we're gonna have a heart that's motivated to use the things that we have for God's purposes and in generosity towards other people. There is joy in working hard and building wealth and being unimaginably generous. This is what makes the kingdom of God distinct in the world, different from the other worlds. We're generous with the things that we have. When we get more, we can be even more generous with it. Doing what? Investing in things like giving to the poor and the vulnerable. You can't read the Bible without 
believing that God cares very much about his people taking care of the poor. What else can you give to, right? The local church, kingdom gospel work, seeking to make disciples of Christ. God wants us to invest deeply in those things. It's what makes the kingdom of God distinct in the world. And the question is, in our hearts, as we get the things that we have, do we have the motivation to use that for upgrading lifestyle or is it a motivation to upgrade our generosity? And so, what do we do if we find that motivation in our hearts? How do we begin to see that shift? And my third, the third way that I have when it comes to living under God's provision is this, is we need to meditate daily on the ark of our life. We need to meditate daily on the ark of my life. And here's what I mean by ark. I think for, for many of us, right, we kind of see our lives in this ark, right? We're born and we grow, we get to middle age, right? Have our midlife crisis. Oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? And then it's kind of a slow descent, right? And all of us long to have a moment in our life, right? Where we, we somehow hit it big. Uh, maybe we finally make all of the money that we wanna make, or we find some sort of purpose or significance in our life. And, we, and so we kind of hope that our arc can take a trajectory up. Right? And that one day that we'll arrive, one day we'll make it, one day we'll finally get the things that our hearts have been longing for. And the problem as we live our lives is that it seems so elusive. And so we're always chasing it. But the reality is that in Christ, the arc of our life is we, we do hit a point when we are reconciled to God in and through Christ, where it is only up from there, that Christ has, has come and literally redeemed us, changed our life, provided us everything that we need and promised us eternal life. And, and everything is, is up. So go back to the commands in Exodus chapter 20, right? In, in verse two, this is something we go back to every week. How did God start giving these commands to his people? What did he say in verse two? He says, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you out of your slavery to Egypt. What God is saying is you were in slavery to Egypt. Life wasn't going well for you, but I came and rescued you out of that, literally am taking you to the promised land where I'm promising to care for you, to give you everything that you need, a land flowing of milk and honey to protect you, to be your God, you will be my people. So what God is saying, listen, I have rescued you. Your life is nowhere but going up. And so here are the commands that I have for you and the ways that I want you to live your life. But the story of Israel is they just didn't trust God with it. They just didn't trust God in his word. They didn't trust God that it was for their joy. They constantly went to other gods and rejected him. And as we think about our lives, in Christ, it's the same for us. We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, but Christ came and redeemed us out of it, rescued us from our slavery to sin, redeemed us from our sin, defeated death, promised us eternal life. And so when we look at the arc of our life, it's nowhere but up. God is promising to care for us for the rest of our lives. Now, does that mean that our life will be without hardship and suffering? No but the Bible calls our lives momentary 
uh, just a, like a puff of smoke in the wind when you compare it to eternity. And a kingdom outlook is this reality of going, I've been rescued by Christ and I've been promised all of eternity in God's kingdom where he will provide for me and he's gonna care for me. And it's gonna be a place of rest and joy and fulfilling his purpose of mine. And so in this momentary life that I'm living, this puff of smoke of life that I'm living, I can live with that outlook, with that worldview, knowing that God has taken care of all of my needs and all of my desires. And here's the thing. If we wanna be a people with a transformed worldview, if we wanna be a people that truly puts our treasure in heaven and not in our money, if we wanna be a people that, that has our hearts set on upgrading generosity and not just our lifestyles, then we have to be a people who every single day remind ourselves of who we are in Christ what Christ has done for us and the future that we have in his kingdom. We got to meditate on the arc of our lives and where we're going because it's going to remind us that Christ has indeed given us everything that we need, that he can be trusted and we can live under his provision. And it's also why we come to the communion table because at the communion table, we get the very example of Christ's provision for us. We break bread and it reminds us that Christ's body was broken so that ours wouldn't be because of our sin. And we drink the juice and the wine because we are reminded that Christ's blood was shed to cleanse us from our sin and to make us righteous in his sight, that he has given us everything that we need in order for us to have joy in life and most importantly, eternal life in his kingdom. And this is why we've been coming to the table every single week during this 10 commandments sermon series. Because I want us to be reminded that God is after our joy and the cross of Jesus Christ is what proves that. And every command that he gives us is rooted in his desire for us to live joyful lives in him. But if we want to see generosity grow in our hearts, it's going to start by meditating on the generosity that God has shown us first in and through Jesus. He literally has given us everything that we need. And so here's what I encourage all of us to do uh, this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And then let's just have a moment where we sit for a few moments, the band can just play a little bit of music. And I just want us to, to meditate on those three things we talked about today. But what do I label as treasure? And what do I label as tools? What does that tell me about how much I trust in God's provision? What do I label as treasure? And what do I label as tools? What's the outlook? What's the goal of my life? Is it to upgrade lifestyle or is it to upgrade generosity? as a joyful member of God's kingdom, living in the ways that God has called me to. And lastly, what is the arc of my life? What has Christ done for me? And how does that completely change the outlook of the rest of my life? There is deep joy in storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. 
and not storing them here. And so let's pray. Let's meditate on what Christ has done for us. Let's ask what's going on inside of us when it comes to these things we've been challenged with. And let's celebrate what Christ has done through coming to the table together. God, I'm just grateful for your word. And I'm grateful how we can read a very simple passage that says, you shall not steal. And we can extrapolate out of that all kinds of truths about who you are and how you care for us and how you provide for us. And God, I'm very aware that all of us in this room, we're just in different places when it comes to our experience in life. Some of us have gone through deep hardships and wondered where you were. Some of us have had to fight our entire lives just to be able to have the money to put food on the table. Some of us have lived very blessed lives financially and that's never been a worry for us. But regardless of where we are, God, you tell us that we can fully trust in you and your provision because you have purchased for us life, eternal life in your kingdom. And God, we sometimes struggle so much to even understand how to, how to even imagine what that would be like. And so God, I, I pray that you would give us kingdom imaginations. I pray, God, that you would help us to feel how you have deeply provided for us. I, I pray that no matter what our lot is in life, that, that you would loosen our grip on the things that we treasure here on earth. And that God, we'd begin to treasure your kingdom above all else opening our hands to all the things that you have given us and saying, God, these are tools that you have entrusted to me and I wanna use them according to your purposes. And so God, I, I pray for each individual person here in this room and listening to the sermon that by your spirit, you would individually minister to them, encourage them, challenge them, help them to see how, how these things apply to their life today. And, and God, I, I pray that you would help us to believe that there is deep, deep joy in loosening our hands to the things of this world, storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven. Jesus, we thank you that you came after us, that when we rejected you, you didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but you're wooing us back under your care. And so God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would accept what you've done on the cross for us and that we would live a deep, rich life of joy following you in your ways. In Christ's name, amen. You may come up whenever you're ready.